I'll be reading from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 26, which can be found on page 888 of the Bibles. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't assume that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until the heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called the least in the, he- in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you you moron will be subject to the hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on your way to him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Hi friends, welcome. I'm Justin and it's great to see you all here tonight. Look, if you've just joined us, we've kicked off a series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And you know, if you're familiar with this part of the Bible, we're about to be hit with some pretty hard-hitting stuff, aren't we? So friends, how about we pray? How about we ask God to give us wisdom and insight? Should we do that? Let's pray. Our Father, your word is truth, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And so we ask that you speak right into our hearts tonight. We ask your spirit who is right here, right now, we ask that he convicts us and empowers us to live for your glory and for the good of your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you see, growing up, I was a pretty timid kid. But at the same time, you know, I was watching all these movies with my dad and I had this obsession with martial arts, right? So I would watch Bruce Lee movies and think, boy, you know what? 
wouldn't it be awesome to, to be able to kick someone's butt just like him? And so, you know, when I started uni, I signed myself up to karate lessons. And my sensei, I, I love this guy, he was this kind of quiet little man in his you know, late 50s. I mean, he kind of looked a little bit like Mr. Miyagi, if you know what I mean. Uh, only his name was Merv, and he was like the most Australian guy you could have ever met. He did marry a Japanese wife, which was kind of pretty cool. Um, but, you know, it didn't take me long to get a hang of this whole karate thing, or at least that's what I thought. You see, my sensei, he was a pretty cluey guy. He had a bit of a knack for picking out the students who were just who were a little bit overconfident for their own good. And so one night, you know, we're practicing our stances. So karate has various stances, and one of them's this. And we're practicing our stances, and he comes up to me, and he looks me right in the eye. And I'm thinking, wow, this is awesome. This is the moment where he's going to tell me to wax on, wax off, right? So I, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. But instead, he says to me, if you're doing the stance correctly, you should be able to take a full kick to the groin. And I thought, what? <laughs> and even before I could panic, that's exactly what he did. He kicked me in the groin and I thought, far out, what is going on? But you know what? I tell you what, hands down, that move was the quickest cure for overconfidence. It really did the job. You see, what I learned was that martial arts, it's got nothing to do with kicking butt, right? It's got everything to do with humility, with respect, with focus, with discipline. And you see, what I realized was that when I put on that uniform and when I stepped into that training room, into that dojo, and became a disciple of that school, those values became the values that I was meant to live and breathe as well. You see, in these verses in Matthew 5, Jesus is showing us something really important here, isn't he? He's showing us what it means to live and to breathe as his disciple, right? He's saying that if you're following me, if you're living for God in his kingdom, that totally changes how you live. And it shapes the impact that you have on others around you as well. And you see, I think Jesus' big point is this in these verses. As people in God's kingdom, he wants us to do this, to live passionately for the good of the world, for the good of those around us. You see that? And so tonight, we're going to look at three things. And the first thing is this, what it means to be salt and light. And what Jesus is saying here is that he wants us to live distinctively and to reveal the goodness of God, salt and light. That's the first thing. And secondly, we live as salt and light. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate salt and and light. And thirdly, to be salt and light means that we need renewed hearts and we need reconciled relationships as well. So friends, let's go to our first point. What does it mean to live as salt and light? Have a look at verse 13. What does Jesus say? He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. Okay, so what Jesus is saying here, look, it might not resonate with you and me immediately. So, you know, we've got to put ourselves in his particular context, in his time, right? So basically, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have fridges, right? They didn't have freezers. They're in the Middle East. And so what did they do? If you wanted to keep meat fresh in that hot, dry environment, you had to salt it like crazy, right? 
I mean, sure, you know, salt would bring flavor. It would bring that extra, you know, taste that, you know, would make your, your meal enjoyable. But the key reason for salt was that it was a powerful and a distinctive preservative. You'd rub it right into the meat as far as you possibly could to prevent it from going off. So what Jesus is saying is this. As people in God's kingdom have an influence and an impact on the world that salt does, don't withdraw, get right into the world, influence it with the truth, preserve and protect what's good and right. But this is important. Listen to this. Remain distinctive. Don't let the world and its values get into you. You see that? It's a, it's a tricky balancing act, isn't it? I mean, have you had that moment when you're, you're sitting in the car and I don't know, the latest, I don't know what people listen to these days, young people, is it Beyonce and Taylor Swift? Sounds about right. Beyonce or Taylor Swift, their song comes on. And you know, you probably don't even like those songs, but the tune, it's super catchy, isn't it? And so you start humming along and you, know, you hear it a few more times and you get the lyrics. And before you know it, you're belting out the chorus, right? And then all of a sudden you come to your senses and you think, far out, what, what just happened? Why am I singing this thing? You see, the reality is this. As Christians, it's so easy, isn't it, to be subliminally influenced by culture around us? And you know, the temptation to blend, to dance to the world's tune, it's a real one, right? And it causes us to lose our distinctiveness and our influence. But here's the thing. The other end of the spectrum is just as problematic and unhelpful, right? I mean, when Christians live in a way which rub salt into the wound rather than living as salt in the world, when we withdraw into our churches and wag our fingers at the world around us, I mean, neither extreme is helpful, is it? So where does that leave us? You see, as much as we want to be optimistic about the future about the, you know, the belief that better government or more innovation or reduction in poverty is going to create a better world, our world's just as disordered as it's always been, hasn't it? I mean, just look at us. Well, look at me, you know? No matter how much I work out or try to eat well, every year I feel my body getting saggier and saggier. And that's just the reality of it, isn't it? I mean, technology tells us that we're more connected than we've ever been. And yet the research shows that we're more lonely than we've ever been too, right? And what about the death rate? I mean, well, that's never changed. It's still 100%, isn't it? And so when people like you know, Michelle Obama, I don't know if you heard the interview that she had with Oprah after Donald Trump won the US election, and when she said that what people need today is hope, She's right, isn't it? And friends, that's why Jesus calls Christians to let your light shine. Have a look at verse 14. He says this, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He's saying that 
we're living in a world which is in darkness and disorder. It might not realize it, but we're living in a world which is in search of hope. It's looking for light. And you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that you are that hope. So be the light in the darkness so others can see. You got that? I mean, there's something important that we can't miss here, isn't there? I mean, what's the, what's the purpose of light? I mean, the purpose of light isn't that we look at the light, is it? But that we see the reality that the light reveals around us. Because we don't want the world to look at us. No, we want to shine brightly. So what? So that people will see the reality of the goodness of God in our world. I mean, you see that at the end of verse 16, right? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how does God get the glory that he deserves? When we see people around us acknowledging Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, because he's the light in the darkness. He's the only way that we can make sense of reality, right? He's the hope that this world needs. And it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Which brings us to our next point. So why are we called to be salt and light? See, Jesus wants us to live passionately for the good of the world because he wants the world to know why he came. Why did he come? He wants us to show that he is the ultimate salt and the ultimate light of the world. How? By the way he lived out God's calling for his people as it was revealed in his law. Let's have a look at verses 17 to 20. You see in verse 17, Jesus says this, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. So put it another way, he's here not to do away or discredit the law, but to fulfill it, right? There's a couple of questions here. So firstly, what's the law? Well, the, the law is the law which God gave Moses, the Ten Commandments, isn't it? But you see, here's the thing. When Jesus said that he fulfills the law, he isn't just saying that he ticks off on each of the, the items of the law, as you would a KPI that an employer or your employer gives you or sets for you. What he's saying is that I am here to reveal to you the full meaning and purpose of the law. I'm here to show you the depth and the perfection of God's law. So to put it another way, he's saying that I'm here to show you what the Ten Commandments actually mean. You see that? I mean, let's turn to the Pharisees for a second. The Pharisees, they were experts in the law, right? In Jesus' time. So basically, they're a bunch of lawyers and we all know what lawyers are like, don't we? I mean, getting a straight answer from a lawyer is like, it's like pulling out teeth. I'm talking from experience here. I mean, the answer is always, you know, well, it depends. Can I do this? Well, it depends. Or, you know, subject to the 50 exceptions set out in subclause 5, subsection 6, part 1.2. Yes? You see, the Pharisees had become lawyers. They'd become completely fixated with the letter of the law, and yet they had totally lost the spirit of it. They come up with system upon system of how to tick off on all the parts of the law. But you see, they completely missed the point of the law, hadn't they? 
because it wasn't meant to be about them. It wasn't meant to be about how compliant they were. It was so much more. It was about loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and loving others, right? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts explaining that, you know, simply because you think that you've ticked off on all your systems and rules, that doesn't make you right with God. These Pharisees, the religious elite, they're freaking out, right? They're thinking to themselves, who's this new kid on the block trying to shake up all the rules? But you see what Jesus is saying in verses 18 and 19? Have a look. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see what he's saying? See, whereas the Pharisees were trying to draw boundaries around the law, what was Jesus trying to do? What was Jesus doing? He was intensifying the law, wasn't he? You see that? He's saying that stop using the law as this checklist to satisfy your own sense of self-righteousness. No, the law is here to show two things. Firstly, the all-encompassing demand of God's call to his people. But more than that, and secondly, our desperate need for his help to love him as he deserves. You see that? So that's why at the heart of the Christian faith, it's this acknowledgement that you need God to do what you could never do yourself. The friends, the wonderful hope of the Christian faith is also this, isn't it? That Jesus, that he was the one who loved God the Father perfectly, who passionately lived out God's law like no one else. How? By loving people like you and me who haven't lived in accordance with God's law by dying in our place, absorbing the punishment we deserved and rising from death to eternal life that we might have hope in the same future. Friends, that's why Jesus is the ultimate self and the ultimate light of the world, isn't he? So friends, there's a question for you and me, isn't there? Have you and I been impacted and changed in our hearts by Jesus, the ultimate self, and the ultimate life? Have we received his death on the cross, his resurrection, and the hope that he offers? Have we grasped that for ourselves? Or are we still skirting around the edges, trying to tick off on the law, thinking that it makes us feel good about ourselves when we do some of it? Friends, if you haven't met Jesus yet, and if you haven't trusted him, then tonight, friends, is the night. Don't leave here tonight without getting right with God and trusting and putting your hope in Jesus that he's offering you tonight. So friends, why do we live passionately for the good of our world? Because Jesus did that for us and he calls us to do the same. Which brings us to our final point. How can we live as salt and light? How do we do it? You see, we need hearts which are renewed, right? And we need relationships to be restored, our relationships. I mean, you can see that, you know, in what Jesus is saying in verses 21 to 26, right? Let's have a look. Have a look with me. Verse 21. 
You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. By what I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering a gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way to him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You see how Jesus intensifies that sixth commandment to not murder. I mean, to put it another way, he's saying this. If you're harboring anger in your hearts towards another member of God's family, regardless of whether they know it or not, you've committed murder in your heart. You see that? And so you can't worship God and be a light to the world until the darkness in your own heart has been dealt with. So friends, is this you? Are you harboring hurt or anger towards someone here tonight? Hear what Jesus is calling you to do? He's calling you tonight to make peace and to be reconciled with that person. You see, being salt and light, living passionately in a way that God has called us means we need to sort out what's going on in here in our hearts. And we also need to sort out what's going on in here in our church. You see, we can't reach the world with God's love unless God's love is in here and it's in here, right? See that? That's why I love what Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say about this. And, you know, if you've got your, your booklets, your sermon series booklets, open it to page two. Otherwise, just listen to what he says. He says this. And it's on page two of the book. He says, when, firstly, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to a message, though it may hate her at first. And then secondly, the Christian faith is ultimately not a matter of doctrine or understanding or of intellect. What is it? It's a condition of the heart. So a bunch of us, um, we had a chance to visit a mosque the other week. And it was such an amazing experience just being able to meet with people from the Muslim faith and to get a deeper understanding of where they're coming from. And um, taking us around on this tour was a fellow who was originally from Turkey. And what struck me was that, you know, over the last couple of hours that we spent with him, he was just such a humble guy in the way that he spoke about his faith and the way that he treated us. But there was one thing that he said that I'll never forget. And he said this. He said that because of what he believed, he lived between fear and hope. I mean, that's true of our world, isn't it? We live in a world that wants to know that there is something better around the corner and yet at its heart, it's deeply fearful that there isn't, right? But Christians, people who have been salted and lit by Jesus as you live passionately for the good of the world, you have an opportunity to make an impact, don't you? You know, you reveal the 
toxicity and the gossip in the office, you reveal the dishonesty in the business, the inequalities of the system towards the poor and those who just don't have power. You're different in the way that you treat those who work with you and, and under you. You see, people don't just look at you and think, oh, they're a religious church-going person. I mean, they're drawn to you even if they disagree with you, right? Because why? Because they see Christ in you. They literally look at you and go, there's Jesus right there. Christ in you. That's what it means to be Christian, right? You bring joy. You bring hope to people. You're the person that lifts the morale in the office when everyone's just weighed down by cynicism. You're the peacemaker who brings people together who silently resent each other. You don't don't look at a situation and think to myself, what can I get out of this? No. You look at the situation and you go, how can I contribute and make this place a place where people want to be? You reflect the beauty and the goodness of Christ wherever you are and you show them the eternal hope that Jesus is holding out for them and how to live in light of that eternal hope. You know, yeah, you know, there's going to be times when you feel like, you know, you wish you could just salt up the place and lie the place more than you could and you want to, but that's why we come here, right? We come here to work together, to spur each other on. You see, friends, if Jesus has done something distinctive in you, if he's switched on that light in your heart, then you're going to feel that burning desire to live passionately for the good of those around you. So friends, have you been salted up and lit up by Jesus? If so, let's go and salt up and light up the world for God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, we want to just praise you, God, that you are such a gracious and such a good God. Father, thank you so much that you love us and have given us your most treasured son and that in him we have eternal life and an eternal hope. And Father, you have now given us the opportunity to be people who have been salted and lit up by you to go and be salt and light. So help us to be people who are distinctive, who teach people and show people your beauty and your goodness. At the same time, let us be people who are distinctive and really preserve all that is good about you in this world. And Father, we need your strength and your power. We need your presence. We need your spirit to empower us. Help us get out into the world and make an impact which causes people to see you and to love you and to bow down and worship you as you deserve. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.